You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right. Well, welcome to week two of Judges. How are you guys doing? I realized I forgot something really important. Um, I told you that I would give you the updated <laughs> reading schedule and um, forgot. I have no excuse. So I will get that reading schedule out to you. Um, but suffice to say, we are just following up where we were last week. Uh, we're going to hit uh, chapter two. And uh, next week, we'll carry on to chapter three. And then we're going to make our way through, uh, through all the judges. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, let me pray as we get uh, started. And then we'll just get going. Lord, we come before you, and we realize that our lives are utterly dependent upon you. You are life, and apart from you, there is no life. And so we pray that you would guide our conversation tonight as we um, explore your word. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word. That's our desire. So give us uh, ears to hear and a heart uh, that's soft and ready to receive. And then the courage to respond to what you say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to be uh, carrying on in our journey through uh, the book of Judges. And... uh, how many of you uh, like uh, going to the theater, not the movie theater, but like to see a play or something like that? Is anybody, yeah. I don't do it very often, but when I go, <laughs> whenever I go, I think I should do this more often because it's, it's quite fun. Now, one of the things that you'll get if you go to a theater is, um, hang on, let me just say, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, it's all right? The volume's okay? Okay, good. Um, when you go to a theater, one of the things you get is a program, right? Typically, you get a program. And in the program, uh, there's lots of advertising usually in a program. Uh, and you usually have to pay way too much for a program. But the program is helpful. Why? Yeah, it gives you an idea, especially if, you, if you're going into a, a play and, and you go into it blind and you're not really sure what this is about, it can give you an idea what the play is all about, right? And uh, it'll tell you what the play is about, who makes up the cast, how the story is structured. And um, and the thing is, the better the program, the clearer the information, the easier it'll be to follow the story. Now, Judges is not a theater piece. Uh, It's not a movie, but it's history and it's God's word. But it is really important for us to have an idea how the story goes. Um, Because if you've read Judges, it's not an easy book to really follow at times. At least for for me, I find it um, at at times confusing. I mean, there's sometimes there's stories that are just very clear. But in terms of the overall story, I find it it not always easy to follow. there's parts that are pretty complex, 
Um, there's parts that are filled with tension. Uh, there's a lot of uh, colorful characters that we're introduced to. And uh, there's even a bit of humor, a little dark humor at times, but there is humor. And, um, it's, and we meet, again, interesting people. Some people hang around for a, a couple of verses and then they're gone. And other people we're introduced to, and they take up chapters and chapters. And so it's a really interesting book, but it is a book uh, that you and I need a program in order to understand. And so last week, one of the things we looked at is we looked at chapter one. And in chapter one, what we found is, a, well, we found one thing that in, in the book of Judges, it's a strange book because there are two prologues, two introductions, which is kind of strange. Last week, we looked at uh, chapter one, and chapter one, what do, what do we come across? Well, we came across some pretty interesting things. We came across some particular tribes. Uh, we came across some particular people. Uh, we came across some particular uh, villains and battles, and we knew where the battles were. We even knew what kind of weapons were used in some of the battles. We knew why some battles were successful, why some battles failed. And if, if you read chapter one carefully, one of the things you're not going to see is a lot of right and wrongness to the description. It's just basically saying, this is what happened. I mean, you do get a little bit of that in, at the beginning of chapter two. Um, but in chapter one, you just get a lot of detail and it just kind of tells you the story. And by the time you get to the end of the first prologue, basically you're in a position to say, okay, let's bring on the first judge and give us an idea who this judge is, okay? But then we're hit with chapter two, verse six. And this can throw us off a little bit. Um, <laughs> it throws you off because at the beginning of chapter six, and we looked at this last week, it says, chapter two, uh, two verse six, it says, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, and it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought Joshua was dead. We're told he died. And now Joshua is dismissing the people. So what in the world is going on here? Um, why does he have to die again? <laughs> well, if you look carefully, what we're going to discover is that this second chapter is a second prologue. Okay, why a second prologue? What is the purpose of a second prologue? Well, it has a different purpose. Whereas the first prologue kind of sets things up with, with this, these rapid details of some exciting things that are happening. Um, the second prologue deals with overarching themes. In fact, in fact, the second prologue serves as our program for the story. The second, pro, uh, the second prologue serves as a story. And it, the second prologue is so important, we're gonna look at it tonight, um, it's so important that uh, it gives us a lens through which you and I can understand the book of Judges. So it's really important. It's kind of giving us a synopsis. And the cool part is, is it gives away, there's no spoilers. Right? They don't give away something. But they will give you an overall picture of what uh, the, uh, the book of Judges is all about. Now, does everybody have uh, the notes? You guys have notes when you came in. You, you picked up notes, yeah? And did you guys get notes? They are online, okay? Yes, thumbs up. All right, good. Um, okay, so let's look at the program. Let's look at the, uh, the overall story. I'm not, I, I'm, for me to actually run PowerPoint and to be online 
and to speak live, I think, I think, I think my head would explode. So uh, I'm not going to do that. So uh, you guys can just follow along in your notes. And uh, so what, what do we come across? Well, like any good program, it's going to introduce us to characters. Who are the characters to the play? Who are the characters to the story? And we find that there's two main characters. There's Yahweh, there's God, right? And then there's the people of God, Israel. Now there's some other characters, there's some villains along the way. We meet some Canaanites, we meet some Philistines, we meet some different groups. But the two main characters are Yahweh and Israel. And we, we realize that earlier on in a story, in the story, um, actually we learned this in a previous story in the Bible, that uh, Yahweh and Israel had pledged loyalty to one another. God would be their God and they would be his people. But by the time we get to Judges, loyalties have been broken and the relationship's in trouble. God hasn't changed. God is still loving. His love is constant. His covenant is everlasting. But Israel, what we discover, tries increasingly to live independently of God. Well, which is a story that runs right through the Bible and runs right through our lives today, right? There's this desire to say, um, to ask a question that was asked in the garden. Did God really say? And so that, that seems to be one of the issues. And so the crisis between these two characters deepens as we make our way through the book of Judges. And so the question, among other questions, is how is Yahweh going to respond to Israel's um, increasing preoccupation and flirtation with idolatry? How is Yahweh going to respond to idolatry? So those are the two main characters, so the main characters of, of, of the book uh, so that we need to pay attention to. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to give you guys some opportunity to, to interact in a few moments, um, but I want to introduce you to some of the key themes of the book of Judges. So what we're doing tonight is basically setting the table um, for our journey through Judges for the rest of the weeks together. Next week we dive right into it and we start looking at all the Judges and, and their stories. But this is a lens that's gonna help you interpret all the Judges that we come across, okay? So what's one of the key themes in the book of Judges? One of the key themes in the book of Judges is the theme of, are you ready? Like you know it, grace. Now, if I told you, you're walking into the, this class for the first time, if I, or somebody told you, you know, the key theme in the book of Judges is God's loving grace. What would you say? You'd say, ha ha. What would you guys say? Oh, you knew it was grace, right? <laughs> uh, and a lot of people, when they think, well, what's the title of the book? Judges, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you would think that the, the theme of the book is judgment. But it's actually grace, and I want to make a case for that. Um, and I want to make a case for it by looking at our passage tonight. So if you have a Bible, open your Bibles to um, Judges chapter 2. And what I'd like to do is begin in verse 11, okay? All you cyber people have your Bibles ready? You guys got your Bibles? Okay. So you keep this open. This is where we're going to be lingering uh, tonight. Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. This is what it says. And I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. Okay. Verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Well, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they, they whored after other gods and they bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up the judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because, they, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. And they did not drop any of the practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people had transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and they have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the ways of the Lord as their father did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hands, um, into the hand of Joshua. Okay, we're going to stop there. So, why do I think this book is about grace? Well, we read in verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yes, the story of Judges is about Israel sinning before God. It's about how they fall into apostasy. But first and foremost, it's a reminder of God's grace. God's prevailing grace. Because we read, why does God raise up Judges? Why does he raise up Judges? To save his people. To save his people, yeah. Like, even more... more Clearer, clearer than that, like, yeah, you had to give them a chance to repent, of course. But ultimately, it's to save his people. He raises up judges to save his people. And, he does, and the thing is, he doesn't raise up one judge and say, oh, been there, try that. It's not going to work. He raises up lots of judges. Because we know that the time period in the book of Judges covers close to 200 years. So he's constantly raising up judges. And, and, and we read that you know so it's a picture of god's grace and i think it's a picture of god's grace in the face of betrayal it's a face of god it's a grace of god in the face of betrayal there's an there's an old ditty it's a rhyme i don't know where i think it came from world war one it's it's not it's a little bit crude and maybe you've heard of it it goes um how odd of god to choose the jews Have you ever heard that how odd of God to choose. It's, it's, it's from, uh, I think, World War I. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a crude little rhyme, but it's, it makes an important point. Because one of the things it points out, and this is what Scripture points out, is that um, it's, it's odd of God to choose anyone. 
How odd of God to choose you. And, and we read, we, we, we see that God chooses his people. And he does this out of grace. He, he chooses a people who are not his people to be his people. I mean, he, he chooses Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, through your offspring, by the way, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Why does he choose Abraham? We don't really know. And, 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 and it's, it's grace. It's grace from beginning to end. We read in the, in the book of Exodus that, that God, through his, his servant Moses, what does he do? He delivers his people out of slavery, out of the hands of Pharaoh, into freedom. We read that God leads his people to Mount Sinai. He makes a covenant with them. He would be their God. They would be his people. And again, so the picture that we get here is a picture of, of, of this intimate relationship that God desires with his people. It's a picture of grace. If you get a chance, turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus, second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 24. And look at what it says in verse 3. It says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And what did the people say? And all the people answered with one voice, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, so there's this deep connection. Look in verse 6. And Moses took half, the, uh, um, half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. So there's this, 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 um, this, this connection that God has with his people. God says, I will be your God. I will, I will look after you. And you walk in my ways and you will live. And the people say, we're in. All that you say, God, we're going to do. Okay? But <laughs> we read, we read, uh, Last week, that by the time we get to Judges, something's happened. I mean, this, this, it sounds really great, but something has happened. Joshua has died. His generation has come to an end. And rather than the people saying, all that you have said, God, we will do, what do we find? We see, we read this last week, another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done, Israel came on the scene. And rather than showing loyalty, rather than showing loyalty, uh, they show rebellion. They essentially walk away from Yahweh and his ways, and they become enthralled with the culture around him. Now, who are the people? Which is the group that's mentioned tonight uh, that they kind of get drawn into? Who are the two groups of people that uh, they're, they're kind of drawn into? We come across them a bunch of times. Which one? Canaanites? The Canaanites, and, and, and what were the names of the gods? Baal, or it's actually Baals, there's plural, yeah, and Ashtaroth. Yeah, and Ashtaroth, right? And um, just so you know, Baal is a fertility god. It's a god of, you know, of nature, of, 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 uh, of uh, yeah, of nature and of growth and fertility. And Ashtaroth, basically the, the female counterpart to Baal is kind of like Baal's girlfriend. 
<laughs> didn't know how else to describe it. Bale's girlfriend, you know, Astra. Um, and they're all connected to the fertility of the land and all that. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Why do you think Israel, given all their history and all that, why do you think is Israel got so drawn into these two particular gods? It's more fun, more simple, whatever they want can do. Okay, it's more fun, more simple. They could do whatever they want. Okay, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Probably the demands may not have been as high. I don't know. There's no rules per se. Okay, yeah. Yeah. They want it to be like the nations around them. Okay, so what is it about the nations around them that kind of drew them in, do you think? Party? <laughs> Party with the bales? Um, oh, very good, Natalia. So what Natalia said was, with the bales, whatever you offer, you get, you get something back. It's kind of like a quid pro quo relationship with the gods. Yeah. Really? That's, what's that? Is that real? Well, I mean, the gods Is, are not real, but that was their understanding. No, no. Uh, so if you, if you worship the Baals, and if the Baals are the gods of the land, then what, what's going to be the result? Good harvest, good crops. Now, where did Israel just come out of? The desert. Yeah, not a lot of farming in the desert, right? What did they live on? Manna and quail, right? So now they're in, in a land where there's farming going on. And, they, and all around them, Sylvia, as you were saying, yeah, all around them, there's, there's, uh, there's Baal and there's these fertility. And apparently if you give sacrifice to Baal, he'll help your land go well. And they can learn, and they can learn farming. Who are they going to learn farming from? Well, from the Canaanites because they're the farmers. And this idea of this quid pro quo, you give something to the Baals, they're going to give something back. Um, Good thing in the church today, we never have that kind of theology, do we? This idea that if, if you give God your tithe, God will make you, he'll make you rich. God wants you to be rich. As long as you live south of the border, I'm afraid it's, it's up here too. I'm afraid it's everywhere in the world, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, so by, by, it's like a shortcut, right? So we'll still worship God, but these Canaanites... Wow, that's good. So what uh, Jeremy's saying is that the, the, like, there might be a sense of impatience among the people. And, you know, these guys already know how to grow the land. So rather than listening to God and following his lead and trusting in him, just worship, you know, throw another God on the barbie. We'll, we'll have Baal, we'll have Ashra, we'll have Yahweh, and we can kind of accelerate everything, which is actually what you find in the book of Judges. A lot of, what's that called? Syncretism, right? With a lot of mixture of, yeah, we like Yahweh, but we don't mind a little bit of Baal too, right? Again, good thing in the church today, we don't do that, you know, add anything to, uh, to God. 
Yeah. Well, and, and that's the other part about the, um, about the, the bales and the astra. Whenever you have these fertility cults, there's a lot of sexual stuff associated with it as well. And so in addition to the crops, that was kind of a bonus in the Israel's my and it's sexual as well, but uh, they get drawn into this. But it's, a, it's an important question to ask, why would they be drawn in so quickly? I think there's a number of reasons. Well, one, you know, they just came out of the desert. This, these are the gods of, of, uh, of the land, right? And those sorts of things. Um, the other idea is that maybe we can add them to God and, 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 and combine them. That might be okay. Maybe the other idea would be, and I know that this is a, 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 an idea held at the time, is the idea that God is a, that the, that the gods are localized, right? And we've talked about this before, that so long as you're in Coquitlam, you're under the God of Coquitlam. Heaven help you if you go into poor Coquitlam. Because now you're under a different jurisdiction. I mean, if you go to Calgary, you're in really trouble. I got friends from Calgary and the, the, the God there, I mean, the God of the Calgary flames, I mean, they're, they're horrible people, right? Uh, it's a horrible God. Um, and so, I mean, you get all these things, right? And so maybe it's the idea, well, we're now in this new land. This is, these are the gods of the land. So, hey, when in Rome, let's kind of join in and let's, let's, let's add these gods to our understanding of God. I think there's a lot of those things going on. And it's a good thing for us to pay attention to. Because I think as Christians, we run into that temptation ourselves. One, the idea of quid pro quo. I, I, help, I do something for you, God. You do something for me. Health, wealth, gospel. The idea of, yes, I like Yahweh, but I also like these other gods, and we'll just add them. Do you know how many people I, I meet? Um, I meet a number of people that will say, you know, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus, I, I, you know, he's, I, I love him. I love his teaching. I love everything about Jesus. And Buddha. And I'm like, okay, well, what about following Jesus? Yeah, well, no, I love Jesus. I said, okay, but if you love him, what does Jesus say? If you love me, you know, obey my commands, right? Jesus invites us not to just like him, but to what? And to follow him, right? And so this idea of, of, of making room and saying, yeah, I love, I love God or I love Jesus, but I also love this. I also love this. I mean, I think that's one of the dangers in our world today. So I kind of went off track a little bit, but I think it was an interesting question to ask. Why did the Israelites get, get so enthralled with this? So in the face of this disloyalty, how does God respond? With grace. He raises up judges over and over again to save his people. And I don't know about you, but oh, that, that's an encouragement to me. Because I get drawn into all sorts of things, right? I get, I, I, my life is often more shaped by Netflix than it is by the Bible, right? Or more shaped by, probably more like the zone, soccer, but um, than, than anything else. And I need to remind myself, I, I mean, I need God to, to, I need to receive his grace. Uh, in the face of my own disloyalty, right? And the other thing about this grace, it's a grace in the face of betrayal, but it's, a, it's grace that comes from a heart of compassion. What does this say? Look at the very end of uh, chapter 2, verse 15. 
It says, what kind of state was Israel in? It says, and they were in terrible distress. That's what the, the word says. They were in terrible distress. The lowest of the lows. I mean, it's a, it's a very loaded expression, terrible distress. Not just your normal run-of-the-mill distress, but terrible distress. And then look at, okay, so that's verse 15. They're in terrible distress. Verse 16, what does it say? Somebody read it out. Yeah, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So they're in terrible distress, the Lord raised up judges. Um, what happens in between those two, those two sentences? Nothing. Does Israel cry out and say, we're sorry. We're coming back to you, coming back to the heart of worship. No. Do they repent? No. Do they cry out to God? No. They're in terrible distress. God sends judges to help them. Now, we do know that there's other times where they do cry out. Um, they do, you know, cry out for God's help. I think sometimes I think it's more pain management than it is a sense of repentance. But here we get nothing. Nothing. God, and so it's a reminder to you and to me that, that God's grace always comes first. His grace always comes first. Repent. This is, this is really important because we get this wrong as, as Christians. We think that uh, we need to repent in order for God to receive God's grace. And I, and I meet people that do this. They, they are, um, they're thinking, oh, I've messed up. I've messed up. And God is just mad. He will have nothing to do with me. His arms are crossed and he's tapping his foot and saying, you make the first move. But you have to realize that God's grace always comes first because even the desire, even the desire to turn back to God is a work of what? A work of who? <laughs> it's a work of the Holy Spirit. The desire to turn back to God. is So God's grace is all, God is always on the front foot. And I think that's really, that, that comes through in the book of Judges. And then we read this. It says, what, um, what, what stirs God's heart? What, God, what causes God to, you know, to raise up judges? Well, they're terrible distress. Look what it says in verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of the enemies all the days of the judge. And then, then we read this in, in verse 18. It says, um, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. So God was moved to pity. He was moved by compassion. It reminds me of the story of Jesus, right? Where Jesus looks out and he sees all the people and his heart says his heart was filled with compassion. Why? Because they look like sheep without a shepherd, right? We read that in Matthew chapter 9. So this is grace. And I think it's important for you and I to remember this because sometimes we think we need to muster up our own repentance before God will be happy with us. Does anybody ever fall into that ditch? Like when you mess up, you think, well, God is so angry at me, I better do a few good things to get him back on my side. 
And then you mess up again. You think, oh, okay, I got to do some more things. And then finally you think, well, no matter what I do, he's just going to be so mad at me. There, there's like, I'm done. And, and you walk away. And I've seen people do this. They just walk away because they, they just find it so tiring. Because they think God is just constantly. But God's starting point with us is grace. It's always grace. All through the Bible is grace. One of the things I'm always struck with, you know, given my own background as a, as an atheist and as a blasphemer living in China up to no good. I mean, I was as far away from God as you could possibly get. I had no interest in God. I actually went gunning for people who are Christians. I hated Christians. It's not like, oh, I was kind of, you know, kind of close and then God brought me close. I was as far away as possible. I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. And I always ask myself, who am I that, God, you would even be mindful of me? And I think that's something that you and I need to remember in our own lives. And lastly, it's, it's, a, it's a grace that persists. Look at verse 16. And God raises up judges who save them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Um, in verse 18, he says, whenever the Lord raised up judges, he saved them. And we realize that there's many, many judges that God raises up. And, and that's the story of the Bible, isn't it? I mean, that's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God constantly rescuing his people. Right, right from the book of Genesis, all the way through, when Israel gets thrown into exile, there's always this, this, this sense that, oh man, you know, we need to be saved. Oh God, will you not save us, right? Um, this, this constant call for God to save them. And the story of the Bible is God constantly rescuing his people and it and the climax of the bible it comes with with the one whose very name means what god saves right is jesus and it's 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 god saves jesus christ when he comes on the scene he's he's the one who who saves us from our terrible distress from the penalty and power of our sins and so it's persistent grace Persistent grace. Okay, so that's, that's good, right? And you need to remember that when you're reading Judges. I mean, ju grace runs through the pages of just, uh, Judges. By the end of the, judge, uh, the book of Judges, you're surprised that Israel's even standing, but they still are, which is grace. But the other theme, one of the other themes in the story that's being laid out in the program is Israel's persistence in rejecting grace. That's a big theme. Israel is persistent in rejecting. And, it's, and the way we could describe it is that it is defiant willfulness. Defiant willfulness. And man, that is a big, big uh, theme in the book. And kind of, when I think about Israel, they're kind of like this. They're kind of like, you guys ever seen bamboo? And bamboo will bend. It's like, you know, God will raise them up and then he rescues them and he rescues them. And they're like, ha, ah, we're rescued. And then they go back to the way they were actually. They go back into in a worse state. Um, and the pattern in Judges is not a cycle. This is important. We talked about this last week. A lot of times Judges is taught, here's a cycle, right? Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Israel's enslaved. Israel cries out to the Lord. God raises up a judge. Israel's delivered. Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Press repeat. 
That's how judges is typically taught, but it's not a cycle at all. What is it? A spiral downwards. Yes, it is, a, it is this trajectory towards terrible distress. <laughs> it's a trajectory towards deterioration rather than repetition. And I have it kind of laid out. It just and look at verses 11 to 13. Um, ch- chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. Again, Israel did what was evil in the, uh, in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, bowed down to them, and provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreth. And so the picture they get is Israel, one, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, served the Baals, they abandoned Yahweh, Oh, who is Yahweh, by the way? <laughs> the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt, just as a reminder. They go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around them. They prostrated themselves to them, provoked Yahweh to anger. They abandoned Yahweh and served Baal. And then we see this. Look at verse 19. This is so important. Whenever a judge died, they turn back. And look, what does it say? They turn back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Each generation behaving worse than the other. It's not like, hey, we're all the same. It gets worse and worse and worse. So, okay, I've been talking a lot. So what I'm gonna do is give you guys an opportunity, give you guys and you guys an opportunity. Nothing, okay, remember before I go, I'm gonna put you into a breakout room. Reminder, nothing more awkward in this world than a Zoom breakout room. Okay, just just deal with it. It's awkward. But what I want you to do is is a really fun project. I can see some of you guys. I'm just going to turn my computer off at this point. Okay, stay with me. Okay, what I want you to do, and you guys as well, get into sort of groups, socially distanced, which is also awkward. (laughs) Get into groups, but apart. Um, Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. And what I want you to do is I want you to underline all the ways this defiant willfulness is described. What does this willfulness look like if you were to summarize it? Underline all the key words and then talk about what does this willfulness actually look like. So I'm going to break you into rooms. And if you're a leader, just lead your group and I'll call you back in a few minutes. Okay. You have no choice. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, so chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. Underline and, and write out all the ways this willfulness is described.
Ah, that's good. That's good. That's a lot of, uh, which is interesting. There's a difference in our culture today between shame and guilt. 
shame and guilt. A lot of people are crying not because of guilt. It's because they're shamed, because they've been caught. And so our culture is a lot about shame and not so much about guilt. Oh, it's, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Which one? Oh, wasn't that scary? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I took my phone and I put it away. This show the social media or uh, social dilemma. It was short. It wasn't that short. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. Well, I should have given I gave you guys a one-minute warning. I forgot to give you. Didn't you see what I typed? I said one minute. Yeah. 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 We're talking about uh, Natalia was talking about the um, that that show. You guys seen it on on Netflix? <laughs> Don't watch Netflix, but except for this show, um, it's called The Social Dilemma. On social. Yeah, I watched media. it just a couple of days ago. It's a really good show. Oh man, I took my phone and like, oh, you know, but. But it's interesting because on so much on social media, we follow somebody, but we don't really follow them. Follow means we like them, right? Yeah. David, just a yeah. thought. Do you, do you think the, the, the Israelites, because we keep falling back to the gods, because Yahweh is unseen? Oh, very good, Don. So Don asked the question, do people follow, follow these other gods because Yahweh is unseen? I think that's a really important point because, and I think that's an issue that uh, humanity, not just Israel, but I think humanity, well, and if, in, in the story of the Bible, Israel for sure, um, struggled with because the, we worship an invisible God, right? Um, right. And uh, whereas if you can have, uh, you know, a, a, a symbol of a bull and you have this, you know, there's something that you, tangible that you see and you can somehow say, okay, that's, that's God or that's what God looks like. Well, the danger is, and we talked about this when we do the Ten Commandments, is that if you can reduce God to an image, well, then you can control the image. And, uh, and even though, you know, one of the early images that the Israelites confused and they, they worked with, um, they were tempted to, um, well, remember when they built the golden calf, right? Well, what is it about the golden calf that's so um, tempting? Well, or what is it about the, the, the calf, the bull, that reflects God? Strong. The calf is strong and it's powerful and it's, uh, it's, um, it's, yeah, I mean, it has some of the qualities of God, but it's not tender. It's not loving. And so any image that you have, even though your hearts are drawn to that, will always reduce who God is. It's always reductionistic, and it always distorts the reality of God, which is cool because we just come out. We talked about that in our Ten Commandments that was shut down by COVID, right? We got to what? How far did we get? Eighth Commandment, and then we uh, then COVID hit. Yeah, well, and yeah, when God raises up a judge, that might have been the catalyst for people to come back because they remembered. Well, and plus, these judges, so 
I mean, they're military leaders, right? And so there is that sense that they are fighting against the oppression that they are experiencing, the terrible distress. But yeah, there's, there is something about leadership. I mean, the book of Judges has a lot to say about leadership and the nature of leadership, especially uh, next week we'll be looking at that uh, in particular, how leadership gets played out. But I think that is part of it too. Yeah. That's really, those are great observations, great questions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the gods, they don't demand, they're not morally demanding. Well, yeah, there is, well, there's Moloch. Yeah, Moloch was demanding of, you know, of, of lives. Of, of, so, and it's funny, it's how addiction works, right? It's how idolatry works. It doesn't seem to ask for much. It seems to give you lots, but in the end, it demands your life. And, you, and what, is it, what does the psalm say? That you become what you worship. And if these gods are dead, you become dead as you worship them. Right? Yeah. So, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. So Laurie's just saying that the, the people had a preconceived notion of what God ought to be like, or maybe who God, who they wanted God to be like, and Jesus didn't fit into that, and that that is one of the reasons for his persecution, uh, for his for his crucifixion. Yeah. Well, good, good stuff, guys. Okay, what came out of this exercise? What are some of the key things that uh, this? are used to describe uh, willful disobedience. Let me hear my cyber friends first, okay? Let's <laughs> give these guys a chance to say something. <laughs> you guys didn't think I was gonna ask you anything, eh? You thought, oh, I'm, on si I'm, on, I'm online. <laughs> David never asked me anything, so hey, you're on the spot. And don't turn your cameras off. <laughs> anything that stands out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you guys are scrambling to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, come on, what, what stood out? What are, what's a couple words that, uh, that stood out? Judges. Uh, for my, uh, it was uh, when the judges comes up, because now you're talking about the, they don't see the present present of the Lord, but actually the judges at that time was present of the Lord because they said as long as the judges lived, the God was with them and they lead the people yeah. the same as uh, Moses, because even we say we don't see him, but even the time of the um, Moses, uh, there was a cloud with them, the uh, mountain walked with them, but it's still they don't believe it, still they turn it up. That's not as you see or you don't see, they say even don't talk with us because we're scared. Talk with the Moses and Moses says to us, then it doesn't matter you see or not. Ah, you don't want point. to yeah. obey. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, when they cried out, don't call, don't talk to us. We'd rather just listen to Moses. Yeah, interesting. Well, and that's, and that's always a challenge for Christian leadership is that if you are a leader under a leader, that you make sure that you live as a servant leader. But it's very easy for, for well, I'll just say for Christian leaders to remember that we are under leadership, right? That our word is not law. Um, in, in, in verse 17, what do we see? We see just one of the ways it's described. It says, what does it say? Yet they did not listen. <laughs> okay, this is important. They did not listen to their judges even. They didn't listen to the judge. They may have listened for a little while, but not, not long-term. And then in my translation, it's, a, it's an old term. They hoard after other gods, which is a pretty strong term. And it's a you know, sexualized term. And they bowed down to these other gods. So you get, you know, they, so they, um, you know, when you whore after something, you're, you're actually giving more than simply your mind. You're, you're giving your entire self to this god. And they bowed down to them. What other expression do we have? I want to hear from you guys too. Yeah, they, they, they quickly turned. They turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked. Right? So, I mean, those are, those are pretty strong terms. And so that's a picture of, of disintegration. Um, one of the things that Barry Webb talks about in his book, he talks about uh, an old term. Some of you guys may know this old term. Do you remember the term backsliding? He's a, oh, I think he's backsliding. We don't use that term anymore unless uh, you're really from a certain generation. Um, backsliding. But, I mean, that was a term to say, to describe what? what if, if a person was backsliding, they were what? They were slipping? Okay, what does that mean? Okay, they're moving further away. Yeah, they're moving. It's an old term to describe kind of a trajectory away from God. Does it mean that you kind of completely walked away from God? No, not yet. He's just backsliding. We've got to kind of keep an eye on him, right? Um, another word is, uh, another phrase is besetting sin, which is uh, from uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the sin that clings so closely. And so is this, uh, back, is this a case of backsliding or, uh, you know, this besetting sin? I think it's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's a willful turning away from God. It's a willful desire to commit the same sin over and over again. It is an abuse of God's grace. It's intentional. Yeah. And in the end, Israel's sin elicit God's judgment. And that's, another, that's the other theme in the program. That's the other theme in the program. And the theme is judgment. Right? Look at verse 20. What does it say? So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I'll no longer drive them out, drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. Okay, pay attention to that. I'm no longer going to drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that indicate? The tribe should not be alive, still alive. Yeah, or maybe. Maybe. Maybe it was God's plan, and it seems to show up later on in Scripture. I think even tonight we'll look at it, that, um, that 
when Joshua came into the promised land, that some of the nations were going to be left behind. Why? Why were some of the nations not cleared out? Seems to suggest in our passage tonight that they were left behind so that this next generation would be tested to show their own faithfulness. So it was a test. And actually, you see that. I'm jumping ahead. I think I have it in your notes. Um, Well, hang on. In, In Joshua 23... It says this, Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes that these nations that remain, these nations remaining among you, the remnant of these nations that will remain among you. And it seems to suggest um, that God left some of the nations as a test for Israel, for this next generation, to show their mettle. Now, this next generation failed the test. And what seems to be suggested is that these nations will now stay no longer as a test, but as a what? As a punishment. As a punishment. Now, we're going to look at this. We'll come back to this. But there seems to be, this is part of the judgment. So hold on for one second. We're going to, we're going to get to that because I think that, that shows up uh, in the passages ahead of us. So here's a charge against Israel. The people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers. They have not obeyed my voice. Okay? So the violation is not against simply the law, but it's against God personally. They had broken his covenant that he had commanded their ancestors. And so it's not that Israel simply broke God's law, but they had intentionally and willfully broken their relationship with God. The offense is personal. And at the end of the day, I mean, when we read about sin in the Bible, that's what it's ultimately about. It's about breaking relationship with God, breaking the ways of God. See, it's easier to follow a rule than it is to follow God. Do you know why? Because you can mess with rules. Any rule, you can find a loophole. There's always loopholes to rules. So you think about any, any law, they, you can find a way around it. I and mean, that's what the Pharisees did, if you read in, in the New Testament. They had all sorts of laws and all sorts of little workarounds as well. And as Christians, we do the same thing, you know. We believe, yeah, I mean, I can give you lots of examples of that. But if, if we follow rules, well, rules are easy to break. They're not, not easy to break, but they're easy to work around. But what we're talking about here is relationship. There's a relationship that's being affected here. And God is our creator, our redeemer, and our life. We live, we breathe, we have our being in him. And and when anyone has nothing to do with God, it is an offense against God across the board. Because our lives belong to him. And for Israel and later the church, we are in covenantal relationship with God. We're in a special relationship with Yahweh because he's brought us to himself through his redeeming grace. And, and, and so this God's commitment to Israel, God's commitment to his people was unconditional, was rooted in love. 
And we see this all through in the book of Genesis, um, where God makes a covenant with his people, and it's a covenant that's everlasting. And we see it in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, where God says, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. But here's a problem. When we willfully transgress the ways of God, it affects our relationship with him. It results in grief, but it also results in judgment. Now, what kind of judgment? Well, this is important to get. Um, this is really important. We have to see this. Look in, the, in Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you stay, stay with me on this one. This is a really important point to, for us to, to, to follow. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that today I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Okay. And then look at Joshua. One more verse. Joshua chapter 23. Right at the very end. Joshua chapter 23, verse 16. It says this. Um, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Now, this is important because violating the law, when Israel willfully disobeys God, it does not mean that the covenant is over. God's covenant is an everlasting covenant, right? God's love does not change. There's, God, there will still be God's people and his promise of relationship cannot be revoked. But when they willfully reject God, they will miss out on God's blessings. They'll miss out on the covenantal blessing. And, and, and we know this because we've actually seen this happen already in the Bible. Where have we seen this? Well, we saw a generation that died in the wilderness. Why? Because they're afraid. They, they didn't show faith, right? To go into the promised land. Um, we see... Um, we see people later on in scripture who are sent into exile because of their disobedience. And as we make our way through the Bible, this is an ongoing issue for Israel. Um, what is required is for Israel to, 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 um, to pass its tests, to, 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 uh, to choose life and not choose a way of death, right? But if they choose to turn away from God, then there are consequences. And the consequences is that that generation will miss out on the blessings of God. They will experience judgment. And that's why the gospel is such good news. Uh, because the whole Bible, it points towards this. You have this growing sense of this is a problem. Israel keeps tripping over itself. 
Israel keeps disobeying. Israel, you know, keeps missing out because they are choosing death rather than life. They're, they're going after other gods and bowing down to other gods. Rather than affecting the surrounding nations, they're infected by the surrounding nations. They take up some of the practices. And so there's this growing realization as you go through the Old Testament. It's like something must be done. You know what needs to happen? They need a new heart. Not a heart made of stone, but a heart of flesh. They need to, they need to be transformed by God's very presence. And there's this sense that who is going to, you know, which generation is going to get it right? Well, all this carries on until we read. Until we read of the word becoming flesh. Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is everything that Israel ought to be. Jesus is the true Israel. Where Israel disobeyed and failed, Jesus, the true Israel, does not fail. He is the perfectly obedient Israel. And it is through him that those, you know, those covenantal promises that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through, through the offspring of, 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 um, of um, Abraham, it's all fulfilled in Jesus. And all the blessings of the nations come to a fulfillment. See, that's, how, that's where Judges fits into the overall story of salvation. Now, we're getting ahead of the story because at this point, up until the time of Jesus, the covenant relationship could be experienced as a blessing or a curse contingent upon Israel's obedience or disobedience. And so what is, happens here? Well, we see that God, yes, he's gracious, but he's also just. And here's, his, and here's a ruling. The people have abused the grace of God. They have forfeited the right to enjoy the benefits of the covenant promise of God. They will not enjoy the benefits. And in breaking the covenant, Israel failed the test presented to them. Look at verse 21 and 22 in chapter 2. I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as his fathers did or not. And so the test is, the test was that Israel, you know, how are they going to do with these nations that are left over? And we read that they don't walk in the ways of God. They do not walk in the ways of the Lord. And so these nations that were left behind to test Israel's unfaithfulness uh, are now going to be left as a punishment for God, uh, for, uh, for their rebellion. So this is a theme. This is a theme. Remember, we're looking at this is a program for the, uh, the story of Judges. This struggle with the people, with the, with the people that are left over and their practices and Israel falling into apostasy and falling into disobedience and being drawn into these, into these gods is a theme that runs throughout the entire book of Judges. And that leads to the last part, the last part of this, of our passage, and that is chapter 3. And chapter 3 doesn't add a whole lot to the prologue, but it gives us this one insight that's important. Um, we, we get the, the list of the nations that are left behind. It says, chapter 3, verse 1, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. 
that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the, all the wars in Canaan. It was in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. See, that's why the nations were left behind. So this next generation would learn how to fight, which just as an aside, our challenge as followers of Jesus Christ is to pass on to the next generation teaching on how to fight spiritually, how to pray, how to put on the full armor of God, how to intercede for one another. And so one of our challenges is to make sure that we don't leave the next generation unarmed with the armor of God. I think that's, that's a really important challenge for us. These are the nations that... Uh, these are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidians, the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon, Mount Baal-Haraman, as far as Label Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And look at verse 6. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Yikes. So we're getting a picture. Okay, who are, who are the villains now? <laughs> who are the villains in, in our story? Well, we get, a, we get a list of them, right? And we learn that one of the last steps that led Israel into apostasy is what? Intermarriage. Now, you, you have to see it. intermarriage. When the Bible talks about intermarriage, it's never a racial thing. It's not talking about anything racial. It's always about, it's, it's about uh, your heart and, and, and who you're worshiping, right? That, because we know Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite. She's, she's brought in. And we know uh, Ruth, uh, she's a Moabite. And she's, you know, she's one of the heroes of our faith. So it's not a question of race. But the question is, is covenantal faithfulness. And just as an aside, one of the surest ways, one of the surest ways to land you in a little bit of trouble is to yoke yourself with someone who loves the world. I mean, that's what, that's what Paul's talking about in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's something, it's something that's really awkward for us in the church to talk about because we have a lot, and many of you might be in this situation. Many of you are married. Um, maybe you married someone um, who's maybe turned away from the way of Jesus or was never really interested in the way of Jesus. And, and I know a lot of people in our church that, that that's been a real struggle for them, right? It's been a real struggle. And it's not like as if, you know, two Christians marry, the marriage is going to go perfectly. We know that that's not true. But it's also a challenge when you marry someone who, who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it is a challenge. Now, I, I, I don't know if I shared this with you. I, I met with um, this uh, young fellow once. And this young fellow um, was dating a um, Christian girl. And uh, I, I, went out, I asked him if he wanted to go out for coffee. And so I went out for coffee with him. And I just said to him, I said, look, I said, you're probably wondering, you know, why in your relationship, the whole issue of Jesus is such a big deal. 
you're probably thinking, ah, she likes Jesus, that's fine. I don't, big deal. I said, it is a big deal. I said, here's the thing. I said, you're not married or anything yet, but here's the thing. If you get married, if you get married, um, are you okay with giving away 10, 20, 30% of your income to the church? You're okay with that? His eyes got big. Well, you don't do that. Well, no. From Christians, we believe everything we own belongs to God, and, and we are in the business of giving away money. That's what we do. Said, you're okay with that? Oh, well. Uh, I said, oh, oh, I said, here's another thing. Um, think about a Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day. You got two young kids, and it's a great day to go on a picnic. Get a good start in the day, head to the beach, and you get up, and your wife is not there, and your kids are not there because they're at church. And you're home in your house, in your room by yourself on a beautiful day when you could be at the beach. You tell me you're not going to resent her? She's out worshiping. She's, she's in a small group. She's doing all these things. And you're left on your own. You don't think that's going to wear you down? You're okay with that? And his eyes just got bigger and bigger. I said, I'm just telling you this because you need to know for Christians, not Jesus isn't some add-on. I said, he's your whole life. And I said, and if Jesus is leading, is leading her and saying, you know, we need to do this, or we need to move here, or I need to take a pay cut and do this job because it's, it, this is how Jesus has called me, and this is what I, 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 I'm discerning he's calling me to do. Are you okay with that? If it's going to affect your family income? I said, this is huge. And I've met over the years a number of people, you know, where they're married. Oh, we love each other. We love each other. It's no big deal. Yes, she's a Christian or he's a Christian. I'm not a Christian. It's okay. It's a challenge. It is a real challenge. And uh, so usually when somebody asks me to marry them, you know, I kind of lay it out. I said, okay, just so you know, this is, I said, the vision of marriage, what marriage is and what your life is going to look like there's going to be a lot of challenges. And you get that in this passage, right? What do the Israelites do? They get their sons off in marriage to, to Canaanite women and, and uh, their daughters to Canaanite men, and, and you don't think that's going to affect you? When your daughter-in-law is worshiping Baal, you don't think that's going to affect you know, family dynamics? Of course it is. I think you know, this passage just reminds us that we need to be very careful. We need to be careful what captures our imagination. We need to guard our imagination. I've shared this before, but I think we need to especially guard our imagination during this pandemic. Because I don't know about you, but if you're flipping on the news and you're scrolling through the news and you're taking in the news and what are the numbers today and what's going on, you get anxious and it just affects your heart, affects everything. You're suspicious about other people and you get mad at other people and you need to guard your heart, guard your imagination, guard where, where, where your heart is going. And I think that comes out of this passage. You, they, the Israelites needed to guard their imagination. Everywhere around them, they're surrounded by Canaanite culture. 
the bales and the asteroids. This is reality. Where you and I, we go to the mall, and this is the reality. Buy this, and you'll be happy. Buy this, do this, wear this, and then you'll be happy. Own this, then you'll... We're surrounded by this. And it'll kill your soul. It'll draw your heart away from God. So these are the themes. This is the program I just laid out to you tonight. This is the program of the book of Judges. From this point on, we're going to look at these judges, and we're going to come across some really interesting guys. Um, yeah, there's some real characters. Um, but that's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to start uh, with our first judge, Othniel, and then carry on to my favorite, the left-hander, because I'm left-handed, uh, and just, just make our way through. Uh, any questions? Let me, yes, Ray. I don't know. What were the number of Israelites was the question. Was that? Yeah. Uh, no, no, there, there wasn't only one. There's some overlap, I, I believe. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because last week, earlier in the book of Judges, in the first uh, chapter, it talks about when Joshua and, and the elders died. So it's not just Joshua, but all that generation passed away. Um, and, and then a new generation came on the scene that knew nothing about what God had done or, 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 or anything. And, uh, and the, the question we looked at last week was, how does that happen? Was that the fault of the older generation not passing it on? Or was it the fault of a younger generation saying, we don't need you? And uh, it's not clear. Uh, it might have been more, more the latter. But in terms of numbers, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I do know, like in, in the book of Judges, there's times where word has to get out and you get messengers sent in different places. And uh, I'm not sure how long it would take. And, and then there's certain tribes that uh, are central in it. Um, that uh, that um, occupy a key role, like the, the tribe of Judah. Certainly we encountered that last week and we'll encounter it again next week. So Judah's prominent, yeah. The judges, the best thing, way to think of a judge is not a governor, not a person with a robe and a wig, but to think of a warlord. They're like warlords. They, they, they're primarily, their primary job is to fight. There's only one judge who's not, whose role is more justice than fighting, and that would be Deborah. Uh, but even Deborah is a, well, Sharon, you know, yeah, you're, you're preparing that one. So yeah, even Deborah has got, uh, she, she's drawing up battle plans, but she's, she's a little bit different because Barack is the key guy in that one, right? Online, any questions? Yes, please. Um, oh. Was there more than one judge at a time or, or like well, that's good, yeah. yeah, Ray just asked that. I think there's times where there is some overlap. I think in two weeks we'll look at that because I think Ehud and, um, and Shamgar, I think there's some overlap there. Yeah. Yeah, Natalia? Sorry, say again. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, war is a big deal. God, I mean, one of the things we looked at last week is God reveals himself in the Old Testament as warrior. And in the New Testament, but it's spiritual warfare in the New Testament. Um, war is, is a big part of the Old Testament. It, it runs all the way through it. Um, and so to be a warlord um, is, is, is the calling of a leader in Israel. Like even the kings are called to be masters of war, right? Uh, even if you read the book of Proverbs, there's a lot about warfare in that. Yeah, well, <laughs> good question. As we go through, we're going to find the, the judges that are coming on the scene. They're, they are an increasingly worse bunch. Um, it starts off well, but they get worse. That's a downward spiral. So, yeah, they, I mean, they're not. You do not want to ever say, you don't ever want to have a Sunday school, right, Brian? You don't want a Sunday school that, that says, you know, be like Samson right? Uh, <laughs> you don't want that. Even be like Gideon. Like Gideon, I always share that whenever I th think of Gideon, the character that comes to mind is Shaggy from Scooby-Doo because he's, he's, he's scared, right? He's scared. He's not, he's not a great model. These guys, there's maybe one or two models that come out of the book of Judges. They're, they're a messed up bunch, but that's, that's okay because in the, in the Bible, I don't think there's really heroes. I mean, do you want to be like David? Yeah, I want to have a heart after you have a heart that longs after God for sure. But I also don't want to be an adulterer, right? I don't want to be a murderer. And so the only hero in the Bible is God. And God works through the raw material of history, which is messy. And you get a lot of messy people, which, which I find comforting because I'm messy. Like, my life is messy. I, I have mixed motives. I'm all over the place. But God, in his grace, uses, what does Pastor Mark say? He uses broken arrow, uh, crooked arrows to shoot straight. I like that. Oh, you work in the legal profession, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and yet we also, we all know uh, some judges that aren't so moral. And, and so, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, that's part of being human, right? Yeah. Good. All right. Well, next week we're going to carry on with that. And we'll, uh, and I will send out the reading list. Sorry. Sorry. I will send out the, uh, the reading list. Uh, rule of thumb, just, for next week, just to get, I mean, just uh, read chapter three, okay? How's that? That's easy. Read chapter three. Um, and then uh, the following week, read chapters four through six. <laughs> That's easy. Um, but I will have a, a reading list for next week. Sound good? Okay, let me close in prayer. And then I'm going to say farewell to cyber friends. And uh, then I'll say goodbye to real friends. You guys are real friends, but these guys are in person. So confusing. Okay, let me pray. <laughs> we'll go from here. You guys are so kind to me too. Lord, thank you uh, for your grace and your grace uh, surrounds us. 
uh, your grace precedes us. Our hearts aren't even inclined to want to pray to you if it is not the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we thank you that grace has always comes first. Um, but you have shown us a way of life. And when we willfully choose not to walk in it, we end up in places of terrible distress. Our hearts will wither. And as your word says, we become what we worship. And if what we're worship, worshiping is dead, we become dead. Only when our lives are aligned to you, the living God, the author of life, will we experience life. So draw us to yourself, we pray. We come back again and again to you and we say, have mercy upon us. Thanks that we live on this side of the cross. Thank you that uh, Jesus, the, the true Israel, the obedient Israel, um, is our Savior who paid uh, for our sins on the cross, died the death that we should have died so that we can live forever. And we sure do need a new heart, and we're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit who's in the business of transforming us from the inside out to become more and more like Jesus. And so as we leave this place, help us um, to fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys. See everybody online. See you later. Hi, guys. Thanks, David. Good to see all your faces. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.